The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? It's a Tuesday of Draft Week edition of the PFTPM podcast from the barn. And we're following up Monday's edition that had Joe Burrow and I got Chase Young. I forgot his name. I got to do it again. Three, two, one. And the other guy, Joe Burrow and the other guy. Three, two, one. It's a Tuesday edition of the PFTPM podcast from the barn. And we're following up Monday's huge episode that had both Joe Burrow and Chase Young with Three guests today, all recorded from right here throughout the course of the day, although one of them was like yesterday, but that's okay. They're all being presented to you today. And we're going to start with Rich Eisen, who's been with NFL Network since 2003. He is the host of the appropriately named Rich Eisen Show, which is on NBCSN from 1 to 3 Eastern every weekday. Then you'll hear from Henry Ruggs, Alabama receiver, one of the top prospects in this year's draft, one of the fastest if not the very fastest guys coming into the NFL this year with his 4.27 second 40-yard dash. And then finally, LSU cornerback Christian Fulton, a first-round prospect, his process of getting ready for the draft, the teams that have been talking to him. That's one of the things you'll learn from both Ruggs and from Fulton, the teams that have been bending their ear the most. This process allows teams to contact any number of prospects they want to, but each prospect can be called up to three times a week, up to an hour at a time, and you're going to hear from Ruggs and Fulton, the teams they're hearing from the most, which may tell us something about who may be drafting either guy. So without further ado, we've got Rich Eisen, followed immediately by Henry Ruggs, followed immediately by Christian Fulton. Enjoy the Tuesday PFTPM podcast. As promised, the host of the Rich Eisen Show, which is now available 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern every weekday on NBCSN. Here he is, Rich Eisen. Rich, which of the books behind you have you read and which ones haven't you read? I haven't read any of them uh, in a long time. Um, hold on. The last one I read, um, oh, here you go. And this has definitely not been planned, but there it is. The paperback version of my non-bestseller from 2007, Total Access. Um, what else do I got? Um, the Power Broker by Robert Carroll about my hometown of New York City. It's been a very long time since I've read that. But other than that, it's just up there to make me seem well-read. Now, um, you're not doing it right unless you have at least three copies of your own book. There are others who shall remain nameless, who have backgrounds, yes. that have at least three copies of books they've written, but I'm not going to say who. Who, but it's but who's counting? I mean, it really no, is. Who's paying attention? Who cares? You know, I got I got dice. You know, I don't know. It's just. Uh, but I I fully admit I I will admit this to you, Mike. Um, you know, I did zoom from this chair with Roger Goodell last week to announce the draftathon that I'll be doing on Thursday night from this chair, and I did. I did take down this this picture of me in a Dodger outfit with my childhood idol, Don Mattingly, and my wife and kids. 
I just could not have with the commissioner of the NFL a picture of me in a baseball uniform, and I replaced it with a football photograph. Well, there we go. Well, that's full that's disclosure. Smart. I actually did do that. So you know. now, wait a minute. You're a New York City guy. How are you a Dodger fan? You weren't alive when they moved from Brooklyn. Is it just oh, a leftover of that? They asked me to throw out a first pitch, and um, and Don Mattingly was the manager, and it was oh, a, there you go. I got it now. Okay. A way to get in with Don just to see him, um, and. Uh, and that's it. It was just a very nice moment for, for me and the family and the kids. But I did, full disclosure, replace it with a, a, uh, a, a football photograph. Um, and, um, and that's that. I, I am who I am, and I just did it, and I'm you know, hoping for the best. It went We've touched on, on baseball, and that's all I want to talk about, baseball. I do want to talk about basketball, though. You had B.J. Armstrong on your show today. And I thought the last dance last night, was spectacular. I, I felt like it was exactly what a sports fan needed right now. With no sports, now look, the draft is going to help fill that void. But like for the next four Sundays, we have that to look forward to. It was the ability to just kind of get lost in something completely for two hours. I, I, I was just blown away by it. And I think part of it was it brought back a lot of memories of, of when Michael Jordan was playing and the games right. and the rivalries. But I just thought it was incredible. Um, your thoughts on The Last Dance and your thoughts on your conversation with B.J. Armstrong. Well, there's just a ton of stuff uh, to unpack right there. For, first one is, you know, we were talking about it uh, after you hung up today, and I appreciate you calling in. I mean, on Monday, and appreciate you calling in. Um, that when was the last time the country got together to watch a sporting event all at once, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that the combine was that, because it, as we know, you know, Mike, it's a very um i wouldn't say totally dry event but it is it's an event that's really for the hardcore um football fan you know the one that's jonesing with no football on a sunday and also recognizing names from football saturdays that you can plug into your team and know what your team needs are it's it's not something the whole country is going to sit around and watch you know you can basically say the super bowl was the last last time that we all collectively sat down as a, a sports fan group writ large to do something like that. So, you know, um, and then the last dance was that on Sunday. It really was. And then the draft will come. And then the next two episodes of the last dance will come on the Sunday after all of that. So, you know, put it all together. And it was, it was, it was fun, you know, where we could lose ourselves in a sporting event in a sporting world. And then just for me personally, you know, uh, it brought back some pretty neat memories for me um, because it was my second and third years on SportsCenter at the beginning of my career. And um, I just remember at the time, all of us, and you kind of see it in, in the on-air reporting um, of, of the, you know, clips that you see from like whatever SportsCenter anchors you see or Mark Jones it's all infused the the on-air you know lead-ins or comments infused with the what is the bulls front office major malfunction how could they possibly break this team up we were all thinking that at the time and it kind of brought back memories and it it, it it's just interesting in the in the fact that we're you know in the football world talking about the end of the patriots right now and how belichick and brady reportedly just had been sick and tired of the voices of each other in a way, maybe, uh, or maybe more Brady towards Belichick than anything else. That lasted 20 years, man. 
you know? And, and uh, I know the uh, football's different from basketball that, you know, you're not on top of each other every single day for eight months. Um, but it, that's just really struck me is, is how the bulls just fell apart after, you know, the last dance and how we're, we need to see what the next steps are for new England. It's just kind of everything, putting it together in one sports world is what hit me, Mike. And it's a great contrast because with that bulls team, we all kind of knew that that was that, that they're going to have to start over and they're going to be back with everyone else, just trying to figure out how to put a competitive team together. The Patriots have the structure in place. They've got the greatest coach of all time in place. They've got Josh McDaniels still there because, yet again, his ship didn't come in for a head coaching job elsewhere, and they can try to reload with another quarterback. So it doesn't have the same finality. And we knew that Brady was going to be gone anyway within the next few years. It's just a question of when. Well, they make the decision, or whoever made the decision, that now is the time to do it. And it really is going to be one of the fascinating plots of a 2020 season hoping completely that there is one what they can do without Tom Brady and I thought it was amazing you never see a good team introduce new uniforms I thought it was great that the Patriots have new uniforms like look over here forget about Tom Brady look we have a new flashy shiny object for you we have new uniforms please don't talk about Tom Brady anymore let's go forward with what we have well you know and just to I guess bring it all full circle um imagine if, if there was a general manager of the, the Patriots who wasn't Belichick, right? Um, that that general manager was empowered by Bob Kraft to tell Belichick last year or two years ago, or even if you want to, the, the Garoppolo year, right? That to tell Belichick, you, you could go 20 and 0, right? You can go 19 and 0, you could go 20 and 0 to use the future 17 and O season that's coming for a regular season. You can go 19 and 0. Um, doesn't matter. Your your this is your last year. And uh and and it's and 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 be caught, you know, having a dalliance with Matt Campbell of Iowa State, right? I mean, that's the same analogy that Jerry Krause told Phil, you're done, you can go 82 and 0. I'm talking to Tim Floyd, he's your successor. And it just makes no sense that that actually happened. And I just, again, remember it in real time at the time, just wondering what, what was going on. And, um, you know, I'm, I am holding my breath for episodes two, you know, three through 10, the moment where I'm going to come on the air with a full <laughs> But I, you know, it, it's probably going to not happen because, um, uh, the guy I was sitting next to most of the time, if Stewart didn't get the Bulls Jordan highlight that night, as opposed to me, it would have been a major upset, like a like a huge, to use the uh, full analogy, 2007 Giants upset. Like the highlight tape would have it stuck to my helmet like David Tyree for me to have gotten the highlight instead of Stewart. So I don't know how often I'm going to be seen in this thing. And, and I've heard stories about that from time to time. Peel back the curtain a little bit. What, what was... Sure. What was the negotiation? What was the process <laughs> deciding who does what? There, Were there, there was anchors. Was it a producer thing? How did that work? Well, you know, there really was no negotiation, Mike. When it came to <laughs> when it came to Jordan, uh, and then subsequently Vince Carter, uh, Vince Carter highlights. Uh, it, it, they weren't mine. They were Stewart's, and and it would be divvied up by the producer who's line producing Sports Center that night. The rundown would be created much earlier in the day before Stuart and I walked in the door for 
uh, uh, an ideas meeting for the one or 2 a.m. sports center, depending when we did it. The ideas meeting was around six o'clock at night. So we would get in around five and open up on our computer screen to, to see the rundown. And, and it would, you know, the first couple of highlights would be whatever we assumed was the big event of the night. And on a, invariably that would change based on, on, on what happened uh, when sports were actually played. But, you know, uh, for me to open up uh, uh, the, the sports center, the 2 a.m. sports center, 1 a.m. sports center and see a Bulls, major Bulls highlight be mine as opposed to Stewart, you know, it was, it, I just didn't expect it. So it really was no. And it was a big game for the Bulls. And I would just turn to Stuart. And I'm like, so I'm, that's my highlight tonight, right? I mean, you know, and he would just smile and laugh, like, because he knew that was his. It just wouldn't be done. I'm, I'm sure I got a few uh, on occasion, but like the night he had the flu, the night he beat the Jazz. I mean, if it was me and him on the, on the set, I mean, it was just a, it wasn't going to happen. You know, when you think back over the phases of your career, and I get a little bit nostalgic every year at the draft because you see these kids coming in 20, 21, 22 years old, and who knows what's in front of them. Do you ever think back to what your mindset was when you were 20, 21, what you envisioned you'd be doing three yeah. decades later? Right. Uh, I mean, when I went to Michigan, um, you know, I did stand-up comedy um, once a month. So um, I, I kind of had an idea about, do I want to do that for a living? Um, I tried it professionally before I graduated, where I literally got paying gigs, which was a, a hamburger and 50 bucks in front of like three people uh, at a bar in Livonia, Michigan, you know, like a 40, 45 hour long drive from Ann Arbor. And I just realized I really wasn't cut out for that at all. But what it did do for me was it, it, it created a, an ability to step in front of the camera in a much more comfortable way. Cause, um, but I do expect, you know, immediacy, you know, I do expect when I say something funny, if I don't get the immediate reaction from somebody, I feel like they, the jokes fallen flat literally is the, what I think of. Um, and the only time, like the, the pressure of standup comedy, I felt it on a sports center set was when I was doing the late night sports center after an angels giants world series game from whatever they had called it at the time. I think it was Pac bell. Maybe, I don't know. But from that stadium, and they, they got in my ear before we started doing the show, and they're like, you know, if you, when you're doing the top of the 1 a.m. Sports Center live, the way that we're feeding it back to Bristol and the way that they're taking it in, if you don't do it right, um, everybody's got to stay uh, an hour and fix it. And man, I, I just felt the pre that felt like that was the only time I felt like a, like a, like a stand up comedy pressure, like I got to make everybody laugh the last thing i want to do is keep you know dozens of people waiting another hour at two in the morning their time and and so it prepared me for that but i always as a as a kid wanted to do sports casting you know marv albert growing up in new york city was the guy i watched doing wnbc um you know um uh sports casts every night warner wolf was another guy and marv would do knicks and rangers games and uh, howard cosell was a guy who i uh idolized growing up and when he showed up as a guest star on The Odd Couple, it was a big night in my house. Um, so I always wanted to do that. And the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing right now is it's just, a, you know, a dream come true. I don't take any of it for granted. You know how the way, Mike, the, the, the way that the world changes and in our business and what's important, digital, social, I mean, all that stuff. 
things can change in a heartbeat. Um, my, my show on, on AT&T is a perfect example of AT&T acquiring DirecTV and then having a different change of what's important to them, streaming this, that, the other thing. So things can change in a heartbeat. I do not take it for granted. And, um, you know, the draft is a perfect example of it. I, um, you know, I, I grew up watching drafts. Uh, I told that to Mel Kuyper. I know I'm getting long-winded here, but when he was on my show last week, I told him about, you know, being in my fraternity house and all the guys ragging on me because of the way that uh, Mel evaluated the pick of Jeff Lagerman from my hometown Jets, you know, like, so the fact that I'm sitting there now and, this will be, I guess, the 17th draft that I'm, I'm hosting for NFL Network, this one in a much different way, but I don't take it for granted, really don't. You know, you mentioned Howard Cosell, and I loved Howard Cosell, and I lived for that three minutes on halftime. Oh, you're, you're not the first lawyer turned broadcaster. You're not the first lawyer turned broadcaster, man. The negotiation with my parents in the early to mid-70s to stay up to watch the first half of the game, I knew I was never going to get to watch the second half, First half of the game and the Coastal highlights, and I could deal with that. I could wait till the morning to find out what happened in the game, no matter how exciting it was. Could you imagine Coastal today right. with social media? So and He would be destroyed every single day for everything he said, and it, you have to wonder whether or not he could even exist in a world like this where you have that immediacy of feedback. Well, I think he could exist for sure. I mean, he was uh, an opinionator who was broadcasting uh, all the time, you know? Um, and every single show has got like that split screen where somebody's taking one point of view and another person's taking another point of view and bashing it together, you know? And, and in a way you could say he, he, I wouldn't say he spawned it, but I mean, he was a guy behind the microphone giving opinions um, at a time where nobody did that. Um, social media, he might not be able to handle, you're right, in terms of some of the criticism that would be immediate in the palm of your hand. But one of the things that Cosell always railed against was what he called the jockocracy, that a player, just because they played, that they're immediately put into a broadcasting position and thus are knowledgeable because they played. And, you know, that's I read his book called I Never Played the Game. That was one of his memoirs because that was his point. I didn't play the game. I'm somebody who's got a brain. I have an opinion. And I'm somebody who'd never played the game, but that doesn't mean that my opinion doesn't count in the same way that just because you played the game doesn't mean your opinion should count. And he was just a fascinating guy who I would love to see in the 2020 sports television landscape. Um, that would be something if I could wave a wand, I'd love to see. I think you'd have to keep him away from Twitter. I know from my own experience <laughs> how hard it is, right, to not engage. Oh, God. And I could see Howard Cosell on a Friday night after he's had a couple beverages, and it would be over. So he would tweet something, and it would just be done at that right. point. As I've danced on that line a few times. Yeah, I, don't think his thumb would, I don't think his thumb would hover over the send button for two No, no, he would not. He would not think twice. He would not, there have been many I've deleted that he would not have deleted. You right. mentioned the Jets, and I gave you a, a mild heart attack on Monday when I mentioned the whole Leon Hess dynamic in comparison to what Stephen Ross may do with the Dolphins by saying, hey, I only got a few years left. Let's be real. Right. We've pissed away picks over the past 10 years. Let's throw a few more picks on the fire to try to get Joe Burrow, and I think he really wants Joe Burrow. But from your perspective as, Jet, as a Jets fan, we yeah. talked earlier about Tom Brady being gone. I mean, 
how, how, what do you feel the future, the present, the prospects are for your Jets? I'm genuinely concerned, Mike. I'll be very honest with you because you know the way to win in the NFL these days is to draft the quarterback that you need um, and surround him fast, quickly, so you can win a championship within the first iteration of his contract because before his contract gets so big, um, it would eat up a, a significant part of the cap. And I know that the cap is going to grow more and more with the new collective bargaining agreement. I understand that. And I still don't know if that will change this dynamic that we're talking about right now. And the Jets are in the position, as my, my colleague Daniel Jeremiah said, it's a Noah's Ark offseason. They need two of everything. And so um, that hasn't changed at all with free agency in terms of supplementing what they've done. As a matter of fact, they seem to have gone in a different direction in free agency, which is fine because I, I think the teams that go hog wild in free agency very rarely wind up winning in January or get to January. That said, I'm, I'm concerned that Darnold is entering year three. Uh, the weaponry is not up to snuff. Le'Veon Bell is not apparently a good fit for this team. Uh, the coach may or may not have wanted him. I don't know if the coach is the right guy as much as I do like him. Um, and, uh, and we will see. Um, we'll see what Joe Douglas does. I think he needs to make the non-sexy pick. He's got to get whoever is left of the Werfs, um, the, the Werfs, Wills, Becton trio. Um, it's possible he has a pick of, uh, of two of the three. It's possible. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that he needs to get whoever's left of that group. And if not, then go and get whichever wide receiver he particularly likes. That's the way I, I think the Jets should approach this draft. Uh, I don't think they should trade out at all. 11's a really good spot to be in. They should be higher. And that may be part of the reason why uh, there is cause for optimism, the way that they finished. Uh, they, they won a, a, a bunch of games towards the end. So um, I, I just don't know how close they are to Darnold winning in his first iteration of his contract. It certainly doesn't feel like there's a championship coming. Uh, it feels like Josh Allen and the Bills are much closer in that regard, certainly in division and certainly from that draft class, uh, with Lamar Jackson clearly uh, closer than anybody else. So um, I'm not terribly optimistic, but that also may be my default position being a Jet fan. Yeah, you know, you mentioned how they finished. And in past years, when a team does have that great final few weeks to the season and turns it around, we flag that team as a playoff contender the next year. There were two teams last year that started one and seven and finished six and two, the Falcons and the Jets. And neither of them seem to be getting the benefit of that, that presumption that they're going to carry it over. And I don't understand it really with the Falcons. I guess I do understand it with the Jets because you reset to zero and zero and, you know, you stumble through some losses again before you find your way. But they had a really tough schedule last year. Darnold had the mono situation. And I feel like that division is wide open. I mean, it's as wide open as it's ever been yeah. in the past 20 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brady's gone. And to me, it's the Bills' division to lose, Mike. I mean, that's a fact. This team has a quarterback that does have a, a lot of talent. They added Stephon Diggs to an offense that was much more dynamic than anybody gave them credit for. The defense is really stout. I like the coach. They're, the, they're in terms of everything, top to bottom. Uh, I know Belichick is, is, the, is the GOAT, and for good reason. Uh, and we'll see if Stidham is a guy, you know, um, that, that, that has every reason to succeed in this position in a way that, say, Brady did. I mean, no one will be Brady ever again, but 
He's a second-year quarterback that, um, that, that maybe the coaching staff believes in more than the rest of the free world, which is the way you could describe Brady, obviously, back in 01. It's the Bills' division to, to, to lose, man. Um, I firmly believe it. You mentioned earlier what you're going to have going on during the draft. I mean, the draft is going to be a different experience for everyone on both sides of the camera. Very different for you, but an excellent cause, an excellent purpose. Tell us more about where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, and how folks can participate and contribute. Well, I'll be right here, literally in this chair, um, which I'm sitting with this position. I'm, I'm kind of using this as a way to, to kind of figure out, do I like the background? Uh, I mean, is that space a little bit too... Should I put something there? Not like around the horn, like, not, not like, you know, making a message or whatever, but maybe I'll do that. I mean, my dog just walked in the room right now, so I need to make sure that that door is a little bit tighter. So you might hear some ambient noise in the background. Literally, this is the way Thursday night may go. Um, it's called Draftathon Live. It starts at 7.30 Eastern time. It's in support of six charities that the league has identified uh, that are on the front lines of fighting COVID-19 or helping those in need because they're ravaged by it. Um, it's basically a Zoom room like this one. Um, I'm going to be on one box. Dion will be in another one on Thursday night. And just one celebrity after another will Zoom in or player or current player or general manager or newsmaker. And it'll just be a fascinating way to, to cover the draft and also raise as much money as possible. Kevin Hart's the first guest. I have no idea how long he's going to stay. I hope he stays long. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And then we'll just have one person after another come in. And, and, and then Friday will be like that. Dion won't be on Friday, but we'll see who is. A couple hours on Saturday, and we'll raise as much money as possible. That's the way we're doing it. And, you know, I mean, uh, it's going to be on every uh, social media platform that the league is on. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Reddit. I think they're trying to figure out technologically how to put a Zoom room on Instagram Live. I don't know if they're going to figure that out. That may be a round peg in a square hole but um that's the way it's going man and i'm looking forward to it it's never been attempted before and uh, like i've said uh it's a draft unlike any other and it's one that will never be forgotten but hopefully will never repeat mike you know and it's funny it was jarring last night to hear the periodic f-bombs on the last dance on espn you mentioned kevin hart though what's the protocol going to be is there going to be a dump button because you know when kevin hart <laughs> shows up right I, I don't know. It's going to be three seconds before he lets something fly. I don't know. I think everybody's kind of told, you know, it should be safe for work. But if it isn't, it isn't. You know, I mean, <laughs> I think, you're, again, there's no there's no precedence for this. We don't know. Like, there's no group of producers that have done it a certain way or no management that is expecting it a certain way. You know, I'll be sitting here. And again, the idea is to make sure that everyone understands what that, that we are uh, escaping. But what is going on in the real world and kind of tie it all together. Um, in a way that's that's of interest and respect uh, and respectful um, and also charity driven. That's the way we're, we're that's that's the plan going in. And we hope that's the way it'll be received going out. Well, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. Before I let you go, you know, we talk about what's going on in the real world. And in this format, I got a lot more freedom to talk about whatever I want to talk about. But one thing that is astounding to me is that somehow, some way, this pandemic has become a red state, blue state issue. And I can't believe that that's happened. And of course, Rich, we're not allowed to say anything unless we're saying something that a certain segment of the demographic agrees with, then we're allowed to say whatever we want. But I, 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 are you floored as I am that, that 
that somehow this public health crisis, economic crisis has morphed into, you know, we, we get in our respective corners and we point fingers at each other and say, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. I wish it wasn't that way, to be very honest with you. I think you're making a point that's, that's out there um, for all of us to see. The virus uh, does not, I mean, I had people would call me and say the same thing on my show or uh, the virus does not check your voter identification. Uh, the virus doesn't check your, um, your, your age. It doesn't check your, um, your ethnicity. It just checks your humanity, man. And, um, you know, I know certain parts of the socioeconomic status have been affected more than others. Uh, but when it all comes down to it, it just affects us as human beings. And, and in the same way that we talk about social distancing, you know, I, I try to be positive about it. I, I see the empty roads when I go to work. Um, and then we do have uh, walk into a studio that's normally very bustling, but there's only five people in it. And we're all, you know, we're normally all uh, close together. But when, when we come to talk to each other, we walk away from each other. And it just, it's really weird. It's really awkward. It's very disturbing. But I, I do view that as a way that maybe we're all coming together. I know this sounds hokey, Mike, but that we're all coming together to make sure that we get out of this faster. That's the one thing I kind of don't understand is everybody out there saying, let's just open up or a certain number of people saying, let's just open everything up. And if we catch it, we catch it. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what we should do. What we should do is find out who's had it, find out who has it and be smart. We have a technologically uh, savvy world. We have uh, the largest treasury in the world, and we should use it to find out who's had it, who has it, and, um, and then social distance from that. And that's the way, quite honestly, we get sports back, man. You know, I saw Novak Djokovic says he's not into vaccination. And I'm like, all right, brother, well, then you're not playing tennis. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know? And so... Um, that's the way we're all going to get back to get the NFL out there. I mean, right now, all of these places that say you can't group in larger than 10, well, it takes 11 to just suit up <laughs> one side of, of the sport. So in order to do this, in order to get back sooner and make sure we don't do this social distancing and, and sheltering at home again this fall, I mean, you want to talk about how, how intense it will be and how difficult it will be and how how troubling it will be economically and mentally as we're, we're rightfully talking right now, the economic shutdown is affecting a bunch of people mentally and physically. Imagine doing that again. So I would, I would just hope, as you point out, Mike, you're right. Um, you know, you live in a so-called red state. I live in a so-called blue state. I'd love to live in a purple state of the union. And, I, and I'm hoping again, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday will provide us a little bit of a respite of what, the polarity we're talking about or from that world, but also be unity. We're unified about let's fight this thing. Let's raise as much money as possible. And let's, let's make sure that we can get this sport and all sports back as soon as possible by, um, by coming together, which is what I'm seeing, but the void in a way we are coming together by being distant, if that makes any sense. No, I think you're right. It's well said. And one of the things I've been saying is we all need to find ways within our own atmosphere to make a difference. And it's great that you're doing what you're doing this weekend Thanks, for man. the fundraiser via the draft. It is going to be different for everyone, but we'll be checking it out. And I hope Kevin Hart drops an F-bomb <laughs> right out of the gates. Right Tune out in. of the gates. And Tune if in. you join in, 
Whatever it takes to tune in, I'm not shameless like that. All right. All right, Rich. Hey, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Congratulations on all your success and all all the best moving forward. All right, bud. Take care. PFTPM podcast pre-draft edition as we get closer and closer to the start of selection process on Thursday night. And joining us now, on behalf of Old Spice, it's Alabama receiver Henry Ruggs. Old Spice is donating $320,000 to the United Way on behalf of Henry Ruggs and rookies from all 32 teams to help young players begin their charitable efforts as they join the league. Fans can make their own contributions during the NFL's three-day draft-a-thon virtual fundraiser by visiting nfl.com slash relief. Henry Ruggs joining us again, 4.27 seconds in the 40. And uh, welcome uh, to the PFTPM podcast. Henry, how's everything going? It's going good. Thank you for having me. When did you realize you were really, really fast? How old were you and what was the circumstance? Um, well, I started off racing my mom just, you know, just like in the street or went to the car, you know, when we were going to grocery stores. But I probably realized that I was one of the fastest guys when I was about nine or ten when I first played football, you know, in Little League. I used to take I used to take crazy angles to get away from tacklers. I never did any juke moves or anything. I would always just run around because I was scared to get hit. So, you know, I never got touched. And that was that was when I started to realize I was one of the fastest guys. And once you knew you were fast, did you then consciously spend time working to get as fast as you possibly can be? And if so, what did you do to get as fast as you could be? Uh, definitely. Once I once I realized, you know, that I had that that ability in my legs, then I, I kind of just hammered on my legs from there. You know, I, I used to do um, all kind of little crazy things. You know, if I'm standing still, I'm doing calf raises. If I'm if I'm just sitting still or something, I'll probably just you know do some body weight squats or something, or just just run for for no reason. I always did anything just to you know build strength in my legs and just run around all day. Beyond the fact that you are ridiculously fast, Henry, what do you think your best attribute is on a football field? Oh, of course, uh, we're going to go with speed. Other than that? Other than that, I mean, I, I feel like I, I have, you know, I have ability in, in every category. So other than speed, you know, I definitely feel like I have, I have pretty good hands. We hear so much about the SEC and so much about Alabama, what a great program it is, Nick Saban with his NFL connections. What do you think? prepared you the most for the NFL playing your college career at Alabama? Um, the biggest thing being the competition. That's probably that's probably one thing that, that that fuels everybody, you know, from the University of Alabama. You know, the competition there is is very stiff and you're practicing with some of the best every day. So that's that's one thing that's gonna make you, you know, a better competitor. It's definitely gonna make you go hard every day and you're never gonna get complacent because at any time, you know, you have another guy just like you coming right behind you. You could have been, uh, come back to Alabama for one more season, Henry. How close of a decision was it for you? And how did you go about making that final call to enter the draft when you when you had one more year of eligibility? Um, it was it was definitely a, a a decision that came down to the came down to the wire. I was I was really I was really considering, strongly considering going back. And, um, you know, the decision ultimately came down to my younger brother just telling me, you know, my brothers are, are my, my lifeline, you know, my backbones, you know, the, the people that mean the most to me. And my younger brother just told me that, that I should take advantage of the opportunity. And, you know, he was just saying that he, 
he was good on everything, you know, on, on his end. And he just wanted me to, you know, go ahead and go into the draft. You know, when, when you're uh, older than I am now, like 50 years from now, and you're sitting in a rocking chair like I am now, and Henry Ruggs the fifth wants to hear a story from you about Nick Saban, what's the first story that you're going to tell when it's time to tell your grandson about Nick Saban? I'm definitely going to tell him that, that he could cover me. You know, he always felt like he was the – the, the top DB, you know, in the world. And whenever we would go for drill to drill, I would always just run by him and we'll do this thing. You know, I try to cut him off like as if I'm, I'm stacking them, you know, as I'm running the route, stacking them, getting in front of him. And he would always try to cut me off like he's pushing me toward the sideline. And, you know, I guess he got tired of, of beating me. So he kind of took a cheap shot one day and, you know, ran over to the drill. And as soon as he got to the drill, he turned and asked for, you know, like, where's Ruggs at? You know, why's Ruggs not in the drill? He's taking, you know, is he taking practice off today or something like that? So, you know, that's that's <laughs> one of my favorite stories and one that I'm definitely going to tell. You know, he, he, he does have that reputation for being a kind of a hard ass, but also I hear from a lot of players that, that he's funny. Um, from the perspective of the players, there's got to be somebody on the team that would do a great Nick Saban impersonation. Who on the roster while you were there was the one who would do that Nick Saban impression, just kind of lighten the mood and, and poke fun at him a little bit? Oh, man. We had um, we had a couple guys, you know. But honestly, the, the best guy was not was not on the team. It was um, it was uh, Coach Ezell, Rob Ezell. He, um, he was a former receiver. So, you know, he I feel like he does the best impression. So none of the – None of the guys on the team could could do the impression that he did. There's been a lot of talk about your quarterback, Tua Tonga Vailoa. Recently, Nick Saban came out and said, hey, anybody that passes on this guy is making a huge mistake. Make your pitch on behalf of your quarterback, Tua Tonga Vailoa, as to why teams should take him as early as they can in the draft. I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm, I am I back coach 100% on that. You know, if you if you miss out on him, you're definitely missing out on a, on a guy that's going to make make your team better, make your organization better, and a guy that's going to come out and, and do what he has to do. He's a he's a fierce, relentless competitor. You know, he always, even though he does have, you know, the injury history, he always came back, you know, 10 times better and came back and, you know, made his impact, you know, right right away. You know, he played, he played hurt. He did, you know, he did all kind of things, but he always made the team better. He is a great competitor and a great leader at the same time, but also he's, he's a great, just a great guy, you know. You make a great case for Tua, and now Henry Ruggs. Make the case for Henry Ruggs to be drafted as high as possible. <laughs> oh, Henry Ruggs is definitely – I mean, he's a guy that, that's going to do everything, you know, everything that he needs to do. He's a guy you can put anywhere on the field at any time. He's definitely going to be there and, and produce and give you 110%. I mean, regardless of, regardless of the situation, it's no moment too big for Henry Ruggs. Henry, I don't know how much you pay attention to the rumors that are floating around out there now. It can make you dizzy if you look at too much of it. But our friend Peter King had a rumor yesterday that the Chiefs are thinking about trying to move up in round one. They're currently at number 32. They want to move up to try to get you. What's your reaction when you hear that? Oh, man, that's, um, that's, that's crazy. But, you know, if I was if I was blessed with that opportunity to go, you know, to go up there with that team and, you know, showcase my talents with around that the caliber of talent, and it'll be, it'll be unreal. You know, I was actually, um, you know, talking to Miko yesterday, and we were just having a conversation, and, and he even mentioned it, and I was just like, bro, that'll be scary. 
this pandemic has made the pre-draft process so different than it otherwise would be. You'd have been taking visits. You'd have had private workouts. It would have been much more involved. Now, instead, it's a lot of conversations like this. What teams have you spoken to in a setting like this with video conference? Um, man, I, I spoke with numerous teams from, from Las Vegas to Philadelphia, Denver, um, uh, Detroit. Uh, it's 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 been some of everybody, you know. It's been it's been everywhere. I get, you know, I just get random calls, you know, from from time to time. Whenever I'm, you know, whenever I'm not doing anything, you know, guys will text me and just tell me to call in so they can just have a quick conversation. And you know, it's been it's been a, a couple teams, you know, just constantly. Who is it that you've heard from constantly? Who've you heard from the most? Um, I say probably between. Between Vegas, Vegas, Denver, and San Francisco. Do you have any kind of a friendly bet with Jerry Judy as to who goes first? <laughs> uh, no, I mean we haven't we haven't really really said too much about that. You know, we both we both feel like we're we're guys that that should be taken high in the draft. You know, regardless of where we go, we know we're going to make the best of it, and that's that's pretty much the message that we that we try to harp to each other, regardless of. Uh, of anything you know we're competing for for a job and for a spot but you know at the same time we're still brothers we we had our time you know and now it's time for us to work together just in different areas who is it that when you were a young football player you looked up to you idolized you wanted to emulate oh man um I mean of course when everybody was younger around my generation everybody wanted to be Randy Moss and, and, you know, I see you wear number number 11. Uh, is there any specific reason why you had number 11 at Alabama? Um, well, one, because my high school number six was took. Was took um, but, you know, my biggest it's, – it's a funny story behind number 11. You know, I always felt like, you know, even even through school, I always wanted to wear number one. But, you know, I was a guy that, that felt like number one was overrated because everybody wanted to be number one. And, if you were number one, you had to be that guy. So you had to be doing, you know, where I'm from. If you had number one, you got to be playing both sides of the ball. You got to be that, you know, the star of the team. You know, the leader always wore number one. And I felt like it was just an overrated number, but I always wanted to wear it. So I felt like if I get two ones, then, you know, people would people would overlook me, but I could still be that guy. And I'm still number <laughs> one. I just got two of them. <laughs> you mentioned Randy Moss. Have you had a chance to ever meet him, talk to him, get any advice from him? Yeah, the crazy thing is, you know, I was down in Tampa working out uh, for the combine, and and he actually came down there and, and worked on worked with us hands on. So that was that was a crazy experience, and and we kind of, you know, we kind of developed a relationship, and and he was telling me some things, and I, I definitely, you know, definitely keep it in the back of my mind whenever I'm doing anything. And he just, I mean, he helped me build build even more confidence with some things that he told me. Did you see him run? Does he still have it? He, he still got a little bit, you know, he he, he get kind of old, you know, he'd be out there trying to throw to us and his arm would give out, you know, so, so he, he definitely, you know, getting, getting of age, but he still, he still got a little something on It is amazing when you see the highlights of what he did as a rookie in the NFL, he was unstoppable and Henry, we hope the same thing happens for you. We're looking forward to seeing where you land on Thursday night. Maybe it'll be the Chiefs, maybe it'll be somebody else, but we appreciate your time. Congratulations on your success and all the best moving forward. Thank you. One of the defensive backs who will hear his name called before 
many, if not any others, Christian Fulton, LSU Tigers national champion. Here he is. Christian, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just, uh, just making everything work you know, right now with this time, everything going on. And that's the magic word, making everything work at this time. I can't imagine being your age, being in this environment where you're supposed to stay home, you need to stay home, you're stuck at home. What's your mindset like after five or six weeks of not being able to do the things that you'd like to do at your age? Um, really just um, you know, try to do as much as I can, you know, to uh, stay on top of you know, my game, you know, whether that's uh, you know, taking care of my body or, you know, staying in shape. Um, those are just my main things, you know, uh, not really too much worry about what's going on outside, uh, you know, uh, what's coming up for me or so to the NFL. Hardest part for me of being at home all the time is staying away from the refrigerator. Have you managed to do that? Uh, not really. Not really. That's why I got to work out so much. That's why. <laughs> but what kind of workouts are you able to do at home? Um, just so just you know, whether that's running on the levee, um, got to got the stand suit. Um, I have a, a DB train out here, so we kind of you know, do DB drill so, uh, twice a week, maybe. Uh, just doing those things, you know, like I said, I want to stay on top of my game and make sure uh, that I'm in shape, you know, whenever I can, you know, get back out of the house. You're one of those athletes that could do a lot of different things. When is it that you decided to focus on football? Uh, so I would say probably my junior year, junior high school, when, uh, Things pretty got, got pretty serious. You know, the process, uh, I, I stopped playing basketball after my junior year. And uh, really just did football and track. But track was really just staying shape. So not so much career. When was the moment that you realized that football wasn't something that was just going to get you a college education? Football is something that's going to pay the way and maybe unlock the door to real money, to life-changing money as something you pursue professionally. What was it that made you think I can do this? Um, really, uh, just watching, I mean, when I got to LSU, you know, watching those guys um, get drafted my freshman year, you know, that kind of gave me the motivation you know, to see that um, I, can, I can possibly go to the next level, you know, with my talent. You know, they taught me a lot, you know, my freshman year, so I feel like once I see them, you know, actually do it and get around people who's going to the NFL, that's when I felt like I can go to. Go who are the guys who have become your role models in football, the guys you look up to that you want to emulate who have blazed that trail ahead of you? Um, so, you got, you know, Tyron. Um, I feel like everybody, you know, should be inspired by him. You know, like he changed the game for the defensive backs. Uh, you got Davis White. He was also there with me um, my freshman year. And him and Jamal Adams, you got Dante. Uh, I'm not trying to be like just an LSU guy, but I mean, just being around those guys, that's, that's who I was you know, close enough to watch, you know, easy to watch. Now, Tyron Matthew was gone before you got there, but I read somewhere that he had a major impact on you picking football, picking LSU, getting you to go to LSU. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Tyron Matthew and how he served as a magnet to get you to choose LSU. Yeah, so um, like I said just watching his game on the film on, on the field uh, is it's inspiring to see you know um, for him being his size and how he plays he plays big um, and also you know now that I am, I'm able you know, to talk to him around this time you know he's just a guy you know, that motivates me 
uh, you know, he gives me tips, you know, uh, what to look forward to, you know, coming into the uh, NFL now. What are you going to miss the most about college football, Christian? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely LSU atmosphere. I mean, I feel like it's, you know, nothing like that. Um, definitely going to miss that. Um, you know, also, you know, just being around a team, you know, uh, that's what we have the most fun at when you're around the guys. Give me one guy, one guy, and it can only be one guy that you played with at LSU that you could take with you to your NFL team. Who would it be? Uh, I'm going to take I'm going to take Kellevon just because, uh, I mean, I, I like pass rush. Uh, pass rush pretty much helps me out. Um, you know, he's a great leader. And, um, I feel like his skill set is uh, versatile. You know, he can you know, rush the pass, you know, play the run, drop and pass coverage. Uh, I feel like he can do it all. Talked to Joe Burrow for a while yesterday. What were your impressions of him as a quarterback? I mean, his numbers were just off the charts this year, so much better than the year before. What improvement did you see in him from last year to this year? Um, it, might, it might just be the little things, you know, I feel like it was for uh, not only him, but the whole team. Uh, I feel like he uh, he knew what he needed to work on, you know, um, as far as the quarterback, you know, that could make those strides. And he did, you know, the offense, you know, helped him too. Also, you know, he got a lot of weapons around him. But, you know, he took, I feel like he took practice as serious every game, you know, came to practice every day, ready to work, compete. And, um, I mean, we thought that what he did in practice was like, there's no way you're going to do it on Saturday, how easy they made it look. And they definitely did that, for sure. Christian, what would you say is your number one attribute, that number one thing you bring to the table at your position? Uh, I, I believe it's versatility, you know, whether that's, you know, press man, off man, zone, uh, playing inside, black, and do all, all the above. Um, and that's important, you know, also with having a high IQ you know, on the football field. One of the benefits of playing at LSU, you're in the SEC, you see some of the best competition, if not the best competition in the world at the college level. Give me the guy that you had the hardest time covering during your days at LSU. Um, um, besides practice, uh, probably, I don't know, man, it's tough. It's week in, week out. We've seen by different things. Um, I knew I said, you know, Van Jefferson from Florida, he was pretty good. You know, I feel like he's an underrated guy. Um, T. Higgins is pretty good. Um, I mean, I see those guys really. And you said besides practice, were there guys that were tougher to cover in practice than there were during games? Definitely, definitely. That's how I feel like um, us as a DB group, you know, we're able to, you know, perform how we did. You know, we saw the best on, on throughout the week. Um, they gave us, you know, a lot of, a lot of looks. And um, it's, it's tough, you know, to cover those guys one-on-one. So who's the guy from your team, the receiver from your team, that you just assume not have to face on the other side of the line when you're both at the NFL? They got a CD. I mean, I ain't, I ain't done it no person. Man. They all got I'm gonna see all of them. But uh, I mean, I feel like you know Justin and uh, Jamar. They, they they have like two different skill sets. You know, uh, like Justin's more finesse uh, receiver, and Jamar is physical. So they they bring two different things to the table. I think. So Thursday night draft night, you're one of the 58 guys that has the camera set up from the NFL. 
set the stage for me. Where are you going to be? Who's going to be there? Uh, take us inside of what, what we're going to see when that camera comes on Thursday night and, and they, they call your name and we get to see your reaction. Um, so I'm just be at home in New Orleans uh, with my family, uh, just me, mom, dad, my brother, and, uh, you know, my cousins. You know, we're all going to be in the front room, you know, just watching on, you know, trying to see what, what my next destination will be. Um, but not too much going on. Um, you know, we probably have a few more family members come over, but we're not going to do too much uh, just because of the draft guidelines. Do you have a sense, uh, and, and some guys do and some guys don't, but do you have a sense of when the window is going to open for you to be picked and where the floor would be, the range, the high-low of where you can go? Um... I mean, I would say, you know, anything, anywhere from, you know, kind of mid to late first. Uh, right in that area, you know, it's just a, a many teams, you know, that need corners. Uh, coming into this draft, it's just a matter of, you know, when the first corner is taken. And I feel like once that happens, then the corners will start to go. So definitely, you know, in that mid to, you know, late first. You know, without the pre-draft process, they would have had you visiting teams all over the country and maybe doing some private workouts for teams that come to you. You're conversating with people like this over video conference. Mm. Who have you heard from the most? What teams have reached out to you and, and uh, wanted to talk to you and get to know you the most in advance of the draft? Um, I mean, you got, you know, the Falcons, uh, Cowboys, um, Vikings, Raiders, uh, I mean, I've talked with so many teams and more than that, I just can't think off the top of my head. You know, I've talked to at least about you know, 15, 15 teams you know, over this past few weeks. Which ones are the ones that you just keep hearing from over and over again? Because I think teams are allowed to contact you up to three times a week. Who are the ones that are taking full advantage of talking to you as much as they can? Um, those teams that I just named, you know, uh, you know they want to uh, get everything they can you know, to see. Uh, what type of person I am and uh, pick my brain as a football player. So definitely those teams I just named. You know, you, you grew up in and around New Orleans. You've lived in that area your whole life, went to college in Baton Rouge. At this stage of your life, do, do you kind of hope that you get drafted somewhere close to home or are you ready to kind of spread your wings and just go wherever the NFL draft is going to take you? Um, definitely uh, ready, you know, um, see where the draft takes me, you know, I'm open and gone, wherever, well, I don't really have a choice, but uh, I'm definitely, you know, looking forward to, you know, being in a new environment, whether that's down south or, you know, anywhere over the country. Uh, it would be good, you know, be down south, then, you know, with the family being close to each other. Well, we'll see how it all plays out on Thursday night, Christian. We wish you the best. We hope to hear your name called early, and uh, congratulations on your success and all the best moving forward at the NFL level. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. appreciate y'all having me. All right, that's it for today's edition of PFTPM. Thanks to Rich Eyes and Henry Ruggs, Christian Fulton. Thanks to you for hanging in there with us as we get closer and closer to the draft. Not quite sure what the schedule for the PFTPM podcast will be the rest of the week. We're going to play it by ear. We're going to have plenty of little video snippets that we do, maybe based upon moves that happen in advance of the draft. We're going to cut some videos on draft night from down here in the barn while we're watching the draft reacting to some of the picks and then maybe once the draft is finally over we'll have an extended podcast with plenty of reaction and thoughts everything but grades because the last thing i'm going to waste your time with is the application of grades to picks that we don't know what the hell they're going to do we don't know when the hell they're going to do it everybody gets an incomplete at least for now 
and I'm not going to go back three years and grade a class from three years ago. People say, well, why don't you do that? Because nobody cares three years later. Everybody is focused on moving forward. So let's move forward with the draft. Let's stay safe. Let's comply with all of the stay-at-home orders. Let's wash our hands. Don't touch your face. Enjoy the draft. And PFT Live every weekday morning, ProFootballTalk.com, around the clock, and PFTPM. The next time we do it, whenever we do it, we'll see you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.